If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. In some future world, there's nothing but robots and AI programs doing the work. If people are rewarded properly for their contributions, everybody should be doing very well in that world. That guy's name is Jaron Lanier. He's a founding father of virtual reality. The Encyclopedia Britannica includes him as one of history's 300 or so greatest inventors. He's published several books, won several awards, and you are going to meet him today right here on Commando On Demand. As a matter of fact, part one of Kim's interview with Jaron is just a few moments away. First, welcome to Commando On Demand, Insider Edition, your fast-paced weekly update straight from Kim's desk to your ears. I'm Mike James. We'll also hear part two of that interview today. And have you ever wondered if smart gadgets could work for you We've got a list of 10 of the smartest smart gadgets that won't break the bank. As a matter of fact, they're all under 50 bucks. One is just 10 bucks. Do dash cam apps really work? We'll cover that. Kim has this week's hot topic, drones and drug deliveries. Every week, we give you a quick trivia question to keep your brain humming. You might have heard that the U.S. Department of Defense finally upgraded the 70s-era nuclear missile command system that up until recently had still used computers running 8-inch floppy disks. Pretty primitive tech. But it wasn't the only outdated piece of the puzzle. Back in the early 60s, President Kennedy felt that the military commanders had too much authority to launch a nuclear attack on their own, so he came up with a plan to require an 8-digit password to authorize a launch. So, what was the password? Was it 12345678? Was it all capital letters Kennedy 1? Was it 00000000? That's eight zeros, by the way. Or was it all capital letters password? Yeah, believe it or not, it was one of the above. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All caps Kennedy one, eight zeros. Or was it D password? All capital letters. We'll have the answer coming up for you later in this podcast. Remember, it's cheating to Google the answer or look it up on your computer or smartphone. Uh, Make your guess, and again, we'll have that for you coming up. And a quick reminder here, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest tech news, tips, DIYs, and takes your questions on the Kim Commando Show. And there is just one place to get the Commando Show podcast, and that's through the Commando community at getkim.com. Now, a little note, also a a side note to the side note, is uh, the next podcast on Commando On Demand, we are going to give you a little taste of what that's like. So we're going to give you a full hour of the Kim Commando Show on the next Commando On Demand. Make sure you're subscribed so you get that. And you can also get more information over at getkim.com. Again, that's getkim.com. Okay, our special guest is just moments away. His name is Jaron Lanier, and that's next on Commando On Demand Insider Edition. This is Commando On Demand, where we talk to some of the most influential people in technology, the innovators that shape the future and trailblazers who challenge and inspire us to do amazing things. 
Jaron Lanier is one of the world's most well-known internet influencers, and you're going to meet him here and now on Commando On Demand. You may think that advertising runs the internet, but the big data behind it is where the real profits come from. We're being followed all around the internet and tracked wherever we go through our phones, our watches, tablets, and all the other devices. And all that data collected is what built billions for these big tech companies, but it's our data. If big tech can cash in on our personal data, why can't we? Well, what if I told you that a small family could earn about $20,000 a year off of their data? That's a concept my next guest has proposed to get all of us compensated for sharing our digital assets. Now, let me tell you, if I were to tell you all about this guy, we would be spending the next 15 minutes. But he's a computer scientist, he's an author, He's the founding father of virtual reality, and I'm so excited to welcome Silicon Valley maverick, Jaron Lanier. Thanks so much for being on the show. Now, I have to tell you, you have one of the most impressive, interesting, eclectic backgrounds I think I've ever read. Um, where did all this start? <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. I... I um, uh... <laughs> I guess you give a kid a weird childhood and uh, send him to Silicon Valley where there's all kinds of opportunities and who knows what will happen. Um, well, so so you have so you were you helped devise some of the gadgets in Minority Report. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And then uh, then there was the the Lawnmower Man movie. <laughs> Right. My problem with that is that I don't think Pierce Brosnan was a handsome enough leading man to play me. But, you know, you, you take. What OK, you can get. I mean, yeah, well, you know what? I can totally see that right here. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a problem. I mean, you know, I would have gone for more of the Brad Pitt. Yeah. Somebody like that. Too young in those days to do it, though. That's the problem. Yeah. And so and now you're listed as like one of the, the top inventors of the world and the encyclopedias <laughs> and. Uh, now, you were also involved in some startups. Tell me about those. Oh, geez. You know, uh, when I was in my 20s, I had the first virtual reality startup. Uh, I also, uh, you know that uh, effect where you see little things added to your face or you're turned into somebody else or a dog or something that you see on Snapchat these days? Yes. I actually, I actually made the first thing like that with some friends, and we sold that one to Google. And... Uh, I did another thing, the first surgical simulator with some colleagues at Stanford, and that one's part of Pfizer now. And there's another one that's uh, part of Oracle and a thing that's part of Adobe, it's uh, early 3D software. Yeah, so uh, I, I did the startup thing in my 20s. It's a great thing to do. Um, it's a, um, I mean, it's a, it was different back then because these days a lot of it is who you know. You have to know the right people from the start and get the right early investors. Then you have to know the right people to sell your company to one of the giants. In my days, nobody knew how it worked. So it was just chaos and everything was <laughs> made up as we went along. And I, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I think those days were probably more fun than it is these days. Yeah, because I think now it's all about the IPO, becoming the unicorn. How can you get there first? You know? Well, I mean, it was always kind of about that, but it, you used to have to, it was a complete mystery how you do it. Now it's kind of a known path. You know the right people, and as long as you can make something that works, um, the, 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 the road is kind of laid out for you. It's a different, it's a different situation. So now, what made you want to take on big tech and fix the internet? 
Well, you know, from really early on, I was um, involved in the the start of the internet in various ways. Uh, the main one is I was the chief scientist of something called Internet Two, which was this academic group that figured out how to make it grow big enough to work. And um, I always felt that we were making this huge mistake because what happened was a lot of the people were kind of socialists at heart and wanted everything to be free and shared on the Internet. But on the other hand, they also loved the startup experience and loved entrepreneurs. And the thing is, you can't combine a distrust of markets and capitalism with a love of entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs very easily. There's only one way to do it which is this advertising model where people have this experience that it's all about sharing and it's all about openness and it's all about, um, I don't know, just being honest and being sincere. But on the backside, there are all of these algorithms that are trying to trick everybody because the only way you can make money that way is because somebody's going to pay you because they believe they'll be able to influence the people who are communicating on the system. So it's a very weird and twisted world we've made where we make people feel like, and, and a lot of times it's very real, it's very sincere, like they're doing beautiful things online, but behind the scenes, it's always financed by somebody who's trying to manipulate them. And and it also lays out a red carpet for all the worst actors who want to do their own manipulation, like, um, I don't know, foreign intelligence services and things like that. So we really screwed up big time. We really... Uh, we really blew it. And so I've, I, I've been writing about this for a really long time. I, I just feel like we made this giant wrong turn, and now it's our job to try to fix it. You know, So that's, that's what I'm up to. So when you use the phrase giant red turn, instead of making it all free and accessible to everyone, and, and we're going to track, you know, what, 5,000 different data points on every single person so that this way we could influence their purchases and <laughs> and target yeah. them and sell their data do you think people would have been willing to pay a monthly fee to access the internet? Well, you know, every time we've tested it, it seems like people are willing to pay for a better experience. Not everybody, but enough people. Like, I'll give you an example. Uh, streaming services like Netflix are um, not perfect businesses. They have their troubles and they're going to be in a bit of a war with each other coming up here. But the thing is, people are willing to pay for video that they really could get for free if they lifted a finger. And the reason why is they like the experience better. It's easier. Yeah, you know, it's and so I think the thing is that if businesses market themselves well and offer something that's a good experience for people, yeah, people want to pay. Not everybody. And I'm I'm a strong believer that we need to make special arrangements for people who are too poor to subscribe to things like that. But overall, it's okay. The New York Times is doing okay with subscribers. There are lots of examples of businesses that are doing okay. Um, so, yeah, it works when you try it. It's 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 sort of this fear factor. Uh, Facebook is always saying, oh, my God, if we charged – everything would fall apart. And, uh, you know, uh, in, in places where people are too poor, it is really a factor. I mean, there, that I, I, I don't want to say that that's never true anywhere in the world, but in a lot of the world, people are happy to pay. So why do we have to have this business model where the only way anything can happen is where somebody's trying to trick those people? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, if we're really going to be socialist, we have to do it. That means all kinds of stuff has to get free, like your rent and stuff. And I don't see that happening. So the Internet has to be part of the economy. Yeah. And, you know, either you're paying for it or somebody else is paying to take an advantage of you. Those are your choices. I mean, that's 
just the logic. That's reality. See, I, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that people don't realize how much it takes to put that content up on the Internet. You know, mm-hmm. they don't take into consideration that there's there's salaries, there's servers, there's machines, there's hardware, there's maintenance, there's the IT guys that are running around. And, you know, nothing is free in this world. So, so you know, you're using the phrase, Jared, dignified data future. What does that look like? Yeah, well... Uh, the idea is that if you tell – in order to make this thing work where we say, oh, it's all free, we have to kind of tell people that they're not worth anything. It's a really weird thing. Like it's sort of saying – because right now – you might say, oh, right now it's just social media. Maybe like a musician doesn't – get paid for a song that's on YouTube, or maybe somebody who makes a video that's popular, but not super popular. Maybe that person doesn't get paid. Um, But the problem is the robots are coming and the robots are entirely made of human data. So like, for instance, just to give you a crazy example, let's say someday a lot of gardeners don't have work anymore because there's robots that cut the bushes, but the way they cut the bushes will still come from humans. And if there's some kind of an organization of human gardeners who's creating the the designs for bushes that the robots carry out, those people could still get paid. I know this might sound kind of like science fiction, but the thing is, if you're telling people that as soon as it turns into data, then it's not worth anything, then what you're telling people is in the really high-tech future, you're never going to be worth anything because when the robots come, it means no jobs. But that would be really stupid. What should happen is data that comes from you should be paid, and that way in the future when there are more robots, there'll be more jobs for people who make the data. It's a total solution to the future. It creates a future of dignity, and the reason it's dignified is people are rewarded for their creativity, for their originality, for their specialization. They're rewarded for making the world turn no matter how high tech things get. And that's what I call dignity. It's acknowledging that it all always comes from people. If we pretend it doesn't come from people, if we pretend that it only comes from tech companies and the people didn't matter, then we enter into this really dark world where people don't feel dignified. And that's a world that won't last. That's a world that'll be unstable. That's like the dark science fiction world that we really need to avoid. Part two of Kim's conversation with Jaron Lanier is coming up on Commando On Demand. And next, if you've ever wondered if smart devices are right for you, we've got a list of 10 smart devices that you can get for under 50 bucks. As a matter of fact, one of these devices is only 10 bucks. All right, so insurance fraud is so bad in Russia that most people, their drivers, they have dash cams on board. So you might be wondering... You know, I can buy a standalone dash cam, but how do the apps really work? Because the apps promise that you can turn your phone to a full-featured car video recorder just a fraction of the cost of a standalone device. you got names like Smart Dash Cam and Cam on Road. It uses your phone's camera. But I have to tell you, the apps just don't have the features of a real dash cam. Nexar comes close. It's paired with a camera that they're going to send you. And they automatically record drives, videos and events, heartbreaks, accidents. They're saved to your phone, actually backed up to your private Nexar account. But if you really want a dash cam, the app is not really going to cut it. You need to buy a device made just for it. You want one with a dual lens camera, a G sensor, night vision, and of course, an ultra wide viewing angle. We've got more information and some pics that I like over at commando.com. So if you want more information about that, just search the box for dash cams. 
Can't get enough of Kim's tips, tricks, and tech news? Watch season three of the Kim Commando Show on Bloomberg TV, Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, or catch the latest episode at commando.com slash TV. It's Commando On Demand, and of course, smart homes are all the rage. Everybody's talking about smart homes and smart this and smart gadgets. And maybe you've dabbled in a smart gadget or two, have one, depending on what you think of it. Are you going to get more? Or maybe you're kind of wondering if smart gadgets are going to be for you. So we have 10 useful smart gadgets for under 50 bucks that just might come in handy. And we're going to start with a smart light bulb because I do have smart light bulbs in my home and I use them every day. They come in so handy if you like wake up in the middle of the night and you don't have to fumble around for a light switch. Or, you know, if you're going to bed, you can turn off the light in the kitchen as you're just about in the bedroom. It's kind of cool. One of the easiest ways to get into the smart gadget game is with smart bulbs, such as the Casa Smart Wi-Fi LED light bulb. It's by TP-Link. Now, don't worry, because later on in this podcast, I'm going to tell you exactly how you can take a look at these products and if you're interested, even buy them. But anyway, the TP-Link can be controlled from anywhere with your smartphone by using the Casa app and be controlled by your voice with Alexa if you have an Echo or a device that has the digital assistant. Bulbs can be plenty bright, too, with 600 lumens, but offer a dimmable white light. They can also be set up to turn on and off on a schedule, thereby making your life much easier, as I say, if you get home in the middle of the night or whatever it's going to be. That, again, is the Casa Smart Light. Next on our list for under 50 bucks, a smart gadget. Well, of course, you're probably aware of the benefits of digital assistants like Echo, and no doubt they can do plenty. You can ask them for the weather, playing music, information. Really, they are Pretty impressive gadgets. One of their best attributes is the ability to control other smart devices. So if you really want to have a smart home, you probably need to start with a smart assistant. Some are more expensive than others, offering features like video screens and other things. But if you're shopping with a budget for under 50 bucks, the Echo Dot is the way to go. Uh, Of course, uh, Black Friday is coming up. Don't forget, Amazon, that'll probably be half the price that they are now second generation model comes in black or white and it can do practically everything along with the aforementioned things like weather music information alexa the assistant will also help run your smart home Uh, talk about the smart lights i was just talking about Uh, alexa can learn more than fifty thousand skills with the assistant continually getting smarter one of my favorite things about alexa is keeping a grocery list so i just Tell Alexa to put something on the grocery list. Then when I'm at the store, I open the app and uh, it does make things very convenient. All right. Next on our list, you've heard of smart devices. Sure. And at times, maybe even roll your eyes at what kind of tech has earned the smart device label. But have you ever realized your outlets could be smarter? The eFun mini smart outlets require no hub at all and work directly with Alexa or Google Assistant for voice control, which is very unique. Whatever appliance you plug into it, you can control it with the sound of your voice. These outlets come with overload protection and are made of fireproof material. They can also be controlled from anywhere by using an app. So if you're on vacation and want to dim or light up the lights in your living room, 
certainly can do that. And you can also offer device sharing functionality so multiple people can control them. If you've got kids, they can fight over them. All kinds of fun at home on a Saturday night. And when it comes to home security, it helps to know what's going on at your home at all times. For that, a security camera is necessary, of course, but some can be pretty expensive. Not the Yi Dome camera. It provides everything you want with 720p high-definition video and a 112-degree wide-angle advanced glass lens. Yeah, listen to this. It's combined with a 345-degree horizontal and 150-degree vertical rotation range. It also records, and the camera has advanced infrared night vision and can track subjects all over the room, no matter how much light is in it. Perhaps best of all, it can be monitored with your phone while sending you alerts in real time. It's controlled with the Yi app, which is user-friendly and intuitive in customizing your alerts, bookmarks, camera sharing, and more. This camera will also upload its video to the cloud with seven days of free storage, so you don't need to worry about an SD card. All you need is a reliable Wi-Fi connection, and with this camera, your home will be monitored in a smart way. I mean, we all probably have some dimmers on some walls at our house, but of course they're not smart and the bulbs aren't smart, even though they could be. You could connect them to a smart dimmer, which would control them without you needing to get off the couch. The Levitron Decora Smart Wi-Fi Dimmer requires no hub and it does work with Alexa, Google Assistant or a Nest device as long as you have a Wi-Fi network. It's going to let you schedule your lights to turn on and off whenever you want, including sunrise and sunset, and then easily create fun lighting scenarios. The dimmer can control up to 20 residences, 99 smart devices, 50 rooms, 50 scenes, 50 activities, and 50 schedules per account. It can also adjust fade rates, LED activity, preset brightness levels, and more. Well, you can imagine how you can customize this for your home. Better yet, your preset schedules live inside each device, and so your schedules run even if you're not connected to that Wi-Fi. A smart oil diffuser is our next gadget. I think this would be a pretty cool gift. For many, there's nothing like the feeling of aromatherapy. Using essential oils, some gadgets can diffuse them and permeate the air with warmth. It just makes you feel good. The Renfo 300 Wood Grain Ultrasonic Aromatherapy Diffuser will get the job done well. And it can be controlled with an app on your smartphone or with your Amazon Echo or Google Home. It can act as a diffuser. Just put several drops of oil into the water in order to fill the room with a lovely fragrance. Without the oil, it will act as a humidifier, adding extra moisture into the room. And the diffuser can work for six to eight hours with a water tank capacity of about 300 milliliters. It also has a wireless auto off function, which will turn it off automatically when the water runs out. Nice thinking. Again, in a few moments, I'm going to show you how you can go and look at these products. And if you're interested in buying, learn more about them. Well, everybody buys eggs, and everybody forgets once in a while how old those eggs are. They've been sitting in the refrigerator forever. How do you tell? Other than, you know, if they, you guess you could put them in water and see if they float. But we've got a gadget for you 
that'll test to see if your eggs are still okay. It's the Quirky Egg Minder. Never have to worry about checking your eggs again. It syncs with your smartphone to tell you how many eggs are left as well as when they're going to go bad. The Egg Minder has in-tray LED lights that will indicate which egg is your oldest, in which case you could potentially serve it to somebody that you're not particularly happy about in your family that morning. Scrambled eggs, special delivery, or not. Just saying. And you can have it set to send you push notifications when you're running low on good eggs. Best of all, the Eggminder Wink app enabled smart egg tray is only about 10 bucks on Amazon. And if you want to make your room look cool, a Wi-Fi light strip could be for you. It can be controlled via a smart home device like a Google Home or Amazon Echo, as well as your smartphone, and offers a timer mode. You can also set the lights based on the rhythm of music in your smartphone. The strip of lights can be turned on and off, yes, but also dimmed or brightened with 16 million colors to choose from. The possibilities are endless, and they are a great addition to any room or backyard party. And again, not very expensive, under 50 bucks. You may not be familiar with the brand, but in terms of features, the Wise Cam provides pretty much everything you could want. It films in 1080 PHD and is great for your front door, kids' room, or anywhere else you may want to put it as long as it's inside. The Wise Cam works with Alexa and it has night vision that works up to 30 feet. It connects to 2.4 gigahertz Wi Fi networks and features a motion tagging technology that detects and outlines motion in both live stream and playback video modes motion and sound detection also comes with free rolling 14-day cloud storage and through the wise app which works with ios and android you can manage and share multiple cameras finally on our list today is most of us have power strips in our homes as they are an efficient way of plugging in multiple devices when outlets are scarce some act as surge protectors as well Though the best tend to be pretty pricey, this one is not, and it does more than most power strips can even dream about doing. It works with Amazon Alexa, Google Home, and IFTTT, allowing you to take further control over appliances that are plugged into it. It also has USB ports, which will allow you to keep your devices charged, and has surge protection, overload protection, fire resistance, and over 5,000 times plug resistance. The strip can support 110 and 240 volt with a 10A maximum load and can have timers set to power electronics on it or off as needed. Again, that's the surge protector. All right. At the beginning, I told you I would tell you where you can go to learn more about all these products. And if you'd like, even buy them. You just go to commando.com. That's K-O-M-A-N-D-O.com. In the upper right-hand side of our brand-new website, by the way, is a little search box. Type in there the 10 useful smart gadgets under 50 bucks. You're going to see this article along with pictures and links to each of the products. Hey, just ahead, it's part two of Kim's conversation with Jaron Lanier. And we've got your trivia answer coming up as well on Commando On Demand. If you're on any kind of prescription medicine, maybe you face a situation where you do need the refill now and you need it quickly, or maybe you're too sick to go get it. Well, if you live in a certain part of the country, Costco and Instacart are testing prescription deliveries in homes and offices. Deliveries could take as little as an hour. And in case you're wondering about the security of your prescription, uh, here's the deal. 
is that it's being done by delivery drones and the drone couriers also have to pass HIPAA certification training before they're allowed to make drone deliveries of your prescriptions. And then when your prescription medicine shows up at your doorstep, you have to show ID once it's made. As far as the service itself, Costco is going to charge a small fee for members, depending upon how fast that you need the prescription. Instacart, remember, they live on tips, so you want to make sure you give them that. Uh, right now, it's testing only in parts of Washington State and California, but they're not the only ones. In just the last few days, UPS says they were the first to fly prescription medicine directly from a CVS pharmacy to someone's home in North Carolina. And don't forget about Wing and Amazon. Uh, they're still trying to figure out how to get theirs off the ground as well. Want tech DIY videos from people you trust? Go on over to the Kim Commando YouTube channel and you'll see why Kim's America's top digital expert. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a video. Just go to youtube.com slash Kim Commando Show. It's Commando On Demand and our special conversation with Jaron Lanier. Jaron is an expert on the internet and an entrepreneur where we left off, Jaron was talking about where we are now with the internet and moving it into the future. Here's Kim. So, I mean, you're just going from left to right here. I mean, from, from how we're operating today to where we would get in the future. Mm -hmm. So how do we start with just baby steps? Yeah, well, one kind of baby step is uh, services that people are willing to pay for, like your streaming video services, like your Netflix. But another one is where people get paid more. So like, for instance, on some of the sites right now, like YouTube, some people get paid, but the people who run YouTube can't quite let it be a real market. It's not a free market. They're like communist central planners who have to decide which are the ones who are worth getting uh, compensation. And and as long as there's that kind of intervention, it can't be a real market, it can't grow, it can't foster creativity. Um, and so part of it is getting these corporations to actually embrace capitalism fully. One thing you'll notice, I'm drawing ideas from both the left and the right. I think they both have a lot to offer. This is not ideologically on one side or the other, which really confuses people, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know so, what? I, I kind of, I got that though. I, I, I yeah. think you've expressed that pretty well uh, from the very beginning that, you know, I don't see this as left or right. It's kind of like, we're, we're going to come down this middle path yeah. And and we're going to try to devise a system so that this way you're not going to be freaked out by the artificial intelligence and the algorithms and everybody's going to be taking over your jobs, right? Uh, and right. and then, but we also have these these big companies that are tracking every single thing that we do. So how how do you how do you get the big companies to actually pay for what they're doing? They they've never paid anything. Yeah, I mean, there's only one way to get a company to change what it does, which is to prove to it that it can do better for its shareholders by doing something else. Okay, so right now, uh, my friends and colleagues at Google and Facebook believe that this spy manipulate model is the way they can make the most money for their shareholders. But they're wrong. They're wrong because they haven't really investigated the alternative. If what they do is they pay for data they get better data, so their stuff works better. Then they can make better services they can charge more for, and they can become a normal company that sells goods and services instead of manipulation. Um, a really easy example of this is right now when they automatically translate between languages, like between English and Spanish, they have to steal all of these 
phrases uh, to keep up with the news and memes and everything every single day. But wouldn't it be better just to be able to go to the people who are the translators and say, hey, instead of being thrown out of work by our giant electronic brain, we can tell you the phrases we need. We can motivate you to do better and better translations because you'll be in a competitive marketplace. And then our service gets better and it gets so good we can start charging for it. In other words, this whole thing of free kind of stays at a mediocre level that's okay but not great but if you start to just give people a little bit of visibility and an ability to improve themselves because they're making some money a little bit of a say in the system you start to make things better and then i think they would actually make more money right now they can only make money indirectly from people replacing ads because somebody is there using the translator if you could actually make the translator good enough you can charge for it. There's more money there. So this is actually really good for Google and Facebook. I actually think they're undervalued right now. So this is not anti-corporate. This is pro-corporate. I just think that they have a stupid business plan. They need to get a better business plan. So, you know, I read that a small family could make like 20 grand a year off of their data. How do, how do, how do you come up with a number like that? That was pretty simple. I work with some economists who applied traditional analysis to it. So just what they did is they looked downstream for how much data, uh, how much value came from an ordinary family's data. And then they worked backwards to what a typical compensation would be if that were any other kind of thing that was paid for. And the way you figure this out is if the family knew that what the data was going to be used for and could improve it a bit, would that also make the people down the line be able to make some money and improve their value? And, um, the figure they came up with in the current circumstance is around 20K a family. Um, I think, though, that that's low for the future for the very simple reason that right now, when we think of data, we think of data that people create involuntarily that's used to manipulate those people. And that's worth about that much if you if you add up all the ways that people are talked into buying one thing instead of another thing in a whole year. That's about how much value has been added by their own data. But if we can start to transition into a world in which people know that their data is valuable and understand that they're giving data to AI programs and robots, and if you under, if they can start to specialize and get better and better, we think the economy will expand and that average number is going to start to go up. And then eventually it'll go up by a lot. And in some future world where there's nothing but robots and AI programs doing the work, if people are rewarded properly for their contributions, everybody should be doing very well in that world. And and so we should see that number rise quite a bit. But the current calculations came to about 20K. And so when you start talking about um, this data dignified and you just mentioned, you know, a global economy, we're, you're talking like profound changes. I mean, this is a a fundamental shift is what you're talking about. I mean, sort of. I mean, this whole thing with the Internet to me is just this stupid thing we tried yesterday that didn't come out quite right. So, <laughs> I mean, I understand how it might sound like a big deal, especially if you grew up with the Internet as it is. But in the grand scheme of things, it's just trying to fix something that didn't come out very well the first time. Uh, so, I mean, when we did the Internet... We knew it was going to be a big deal. I mean, everybody could tell it would transform the world about as much as it has. It's just that there were all these crazy kind of um, 
utopian ideas that it would automatically make democracy better. It would automatically make people trust and like each other better. It would automatically do all these good things. And it hasn't done those things. It's divided people. It's made everybody kind of cranky and paranoid. It's uh, made the whole world kind of cranky and paranoid in the, in this way. It's um, made it harder for us to perceive reality and react to real problems, especially in any kind of unified way. It's, it's kind of done exactly the opposite of what it was supposed to do. So when you try an experiment and it doesn't work, you have to try another experiment. That's your responsibility as an engineer. And so any of our viewers, listeners, if they want to learn more, how can they do that? There's a few different ways they can do it. Um, I'm, I'm a terrible self-promoter, but I, I've written books about it so they can go buy one of the books. Uh, there's one called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. I have a feeling not too many of your viewers are going to do that, but you can still read the book. It's got a lot of stuff in it. There's another one called Who Owns the Future that's about these topics that's a little older. There's an organization of people trying to get together who are interested in this, so all kinds of different companies, startups, um, nonprofits, that's called Radical Exchange with just a single X instead of an EX in the middle. And they have conferences. Um, those, those are some of the ways. Uh, one of the interesting things is that um, it's the, these ideas have gotten the attention of uh, regulators and politicians. And so there's now legislation all over the world that people are trying to figure out that would be in line with doing the experiments I'm talking about. So expect to see some things coming up, some things in Europe, some things in different parts of the U.S. and Canada. Um, and let me tell you, I think the first passes won't be quite right. I think this is going to have to be experimental and we all have to sort of um, work on it and be honest and, and keep on playing with this until we get a formula that really is decent for humanity. Well, and it is going to be a radical change, Jaron. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll post some links uh, over at commando.com. You know, I've often thought myself that we should have some type of way to get compensated for our data because after all, it's my data. It's not their data. And if you're looking for a social platform that doesn't sell your data, well, look no further than my commando community. It's advertising free. I'm never going to track you. You get exclusive behind-the-scenes access to my show. You can make friends. You can join a group. You can post your tech questions 24-7 and learn more by heading over to commando.com slash community and do it now while you're thinking about it. All right, it's time for the answer to today's Commando On Demand Insider Trivia question. You might have heard that the U.S. Department of Defense finally upgraded the 70s-era nuclear missile command systems that up until recently had been using computers running 8-inch floppy disks. Pretty primitive tech, but... It wasn't the only outdated piece of the puzzle. Back in the early 60s, President Kennedy felt that military commanders had too much authority to launch a nuclear attack on their own. So he came up with a plan to require an eight-digit password to authorize a launch. What was the password? Was it A, 123456789? B, all capital letters, Kennedy 1, C, eight zeros, or D, all capital letters, password. Hard to believe, but the answer is C. Zero, 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 zero. Yeah, eight zeros. Apparently, Air Force officers weren't too keen on adding an extra step to something basic like, you know, launching a nuclear missile. So they came up with a password you didn't really have to think about too much. To this day, the Air Force says they never used such a simple password. But a former Air Force nuclear launch officer named Bruce Blair, who worked in a control center in the 70s, said that 
they most certainly did once use eight zeros as the password. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Commando On Demand. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and you'll get these downloaded to your device every single week. And here now, it's Kim with some final thoughts. Just four years ago, Apple CEO Tim Cook said, the future of TV is apps. And as it turned out, he was partly right, but right enough to begin a massive change in the way that we consume video. This week, the Disney Plus streaming service launched with a staggering 20 million customers. Millions more will sign up this weekend. Disney, Netflix, Hulu, Apple Plus, Amazon Prime, YouTube, and all the others are, of course, streaming services. But back to Tim Cook. On a TV, those streaming services are launched with an app that's already installed on your smart TV. Or if not, you can easily download one. The numbers buying Disney, watching Netflix, Amazon, and all the others puts the handwriting on the wall for cable and satellite. They are simply no longer necessary. And keep your digital know-how going. Find your local radio station that broadcasts my show, along with more DIY how-tos and tips, videos, free news alerts delivered from me to your email address, along with the Commando community, where you can blog and ask your tech questions on our website. That's commando.com. And I'll see you right here next week.